Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. When I was, uh, when I was a kid, one of the big special occasion moments in my life that I always looked forward to was when my mom and dad would let me go spend the night at one of my good friend's houses. You know, when you're a little kid, it's like that's, that's like a huge deal, man. When you get invited to come spend the night at somebody's house, that's a big deal by itself. But when mom and dad say it's okay and they let you go, I mean, that's like a huge thing. And so I can remember as a little kid, I had, I had several friends growing up, uh, Joel, Sean, Michael, these guys that we grew up together. And I can just remember whenever they would ask, you know, you, you know what it's like, moms and dads now, and, and you know how your kids do it. I mean, we would start on Monday concocting a plan at school. And it would kind of be this, this plot all week long. You know, we're working mom and dad, and we're kind of dropping the hints, and we're preparing the angles at which we're going to come at them. And he's working his side, I'm working my side. And our, the whole plan is by Friday night to have this thing approved. And you, you finally get it approved, and you get to go spend the night at their house. And I don't know what it was, but man, when you spend the night at somebody's house as a little kid, it's like everything's better at somebody else's house. Stuff that you would never consider eating at home is like awesome at somebody else's house. My kids will come home now and they'll tell me something that they ate at a friend's house when they were little. They'll tell me, I'm like, you would never touch that at our house. Oh, but dad, they make it so different. It's just so much better. And I remember being that way when I was a kid. You know, everything at somebody, man, their parents are cooler. You know, they're just way cooler than your parents are. And so you get to go spend the night at somebody's house. That was, that was a really big deal. I can also remember that usually when I was going to spend the night at somebody's house, before I would leave, my dad would always say something like this, remember who you are. That'll sit on you as a little kid walking out the door to go spend the night at somebody's house, right? Remember who you are, son. Now here's what that meant. The meaning behind that was that my dad understood that knowing who you are affects the way you live. Knowing who you are affects the decisions that you will make. And understanding who you are affects the way you relate to other people. You see, my dad wanted me to be reminded that I was his son, that I was a part of that family and who our family was in that community. And because of all of that, he said, son, remember who you are. And that, that affected the way that I lived and the way that I made decisions and the way I related to other people. And here's the reality. That is not just true in our physical lives and physical relationships. There is a deep spiritual principle there. And Andrew Murray summarized it. I want you to look at this quote on the screen 
Here's what Andrew Murray said. The whole Christian life depends on the clear consciousness of our position in Christ. Our ability to enjoy and live the life that we've been called to as Christians is rooted and grounded in understanding who we are in Christ. The Bible or theological word for that is the word identity. It speaks about our identity in Christ, who we are as followers of Jesus in Christ. And it is that very spiritual reality that Peter is unpacking with these first century believers in the book of 1 Peter. If you have your Bible, I want you to open it this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you are visiting with us, we as a family of faith are walking through a verse-by-verse study through this wonderful New Testament letter called 1 Peter. We started last fall, and we did a couple of series last fall out of this letter. And in chapter 2, Peter really begins to zero in on this idea of identity. And he's really addressing who we are as the people of God. And Pastor Travis last weekend opened this series by giving us what we we entitled the big idea. Everything that we say in this series over these couple of months together through chapter 2 and 3 is going to be under the umbrella of this big idea. I want to put it back up on the screen. Here it is. As the people of God, we are who we are because of who Jesus is. He is. I want you to read that out loud with me. As the people of God, we are who we are because of who Jesus is. What is that? That is a statement of identity. It's about understanding who we are in Christ. And let me just say this to you this morning. One of the greatest things that can happen in the life of any believer is when you and I begin to see ourselves the way God sees us. One of the greatest things that could happen to you, and I pray that for some of you it happens this morning, I pray that you would begin to see you the way God sees you. One of the great practices in your own devotional time as you spend time with the Lord daily in His Word, as you sit down in the morning and begin to read the Word of God just devotionally, one of the great practices is as when you see something that the Bible says to be true about you, you just stop right there and say, Lord, I believe that. God, I claim that to be true about myself. Lord, I may not feel that. I didn't say it's always the way we feel about ourselves. But I need to get to the place where I can see what God says about me in His Word. This book is truth. And when we read something in here about ourselves, one of the greatest things that could happen to you is you begin to see yourself the way God sees you and you begin to live out of that new identity that you now have in Christ. Because when you understand who you are, it affects the way you live. And that's exactly what Peter is addressing with these Christians. We're going to pick it up in 1 Peter chapter 2. 
Last weekend, Pastor Travis unpacked some truths about who Jesus is. And now what Peter's going to begin to do is begin to say who you and I are because of who Jesus is. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. But you are. This is about to get good, let me just tell you, all right? You are. Now, the you are there is speaking to us collectively as the people of God. But it's also speaking to each one of us individually as his child. So what we're about to read is what he says about us together. And it's who we are together because it's also who we are as individuals. Look what he says. But you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Let me give you an idea of what I'm talking about as you read this in your personal devotional time. You're reading along through 1 Peter. You get right here, but you are a chosen race. God, I thank you right now, Lord, that I'm chosen. God, I don't even understand everything that means, but I thank you for it. God, I thank you that you set your heart on me. God, I thank you that I am a part of the royal priesthood. When you understand that you are chosen of God and you are part of the royal household, it begins to affect the way you live. Look what he goes on to say, verse 9. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You hadn't always been. But here's who you are now. Listen, this is who you are now. You are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's some good stuff about who you are. My problem is I only got a little bit of time to try to unpack all that, right? There's a whole lot there. We, we could literally spend the next two or three weeks unpacking just the two verses that I've read for you. There's a whole sermon in every one of these phrases. I'm going to try this morning to give you five realities that Peter tells us about the people of God. So five things that he tells us about us collectively and about us as individuals because of who Jesus is. And I'll go ahead and tell you up front, I'm probably going to unpack a couple of these more than the others. We may just have to mention them as we get through it, all right? So here's the first one. We are a people who are loved by God. This is a reality about us. We're a people who are loved by God. The Bible says you are a chosen race. That word race is a word that could just be translated people. You're a chosen 
people. The word chosen is a word that means to select. It involves thoughtful and deliberate consideration. You and I today are chosen by God. There's a little story that my dad told me years ago that every time I see this word chosen, I just can't help but think about this particular story. It's a story that was told to my dad by one of his close pastor friends in the state of Alabama. And this, uh, this pastor had been called over to the home of a family who was kind of going through a, a, a tough day. And what had happened is this family had a little boy that had been adopted. They'd adopted him at birth into, into their family. And this little boy was still young. He did not know that he'd been adopted. He'd not been told that yet. The family was deciding the right moment and the right time to tell him about his adoption. But someone at school had found out somehow that he was adopted. And some, a couple of kids at school had started making fun. You know how elementary kids can be. It started kind of poking fun at this little boy for being adopted. And it just devastated this little kid. So it's a little small town in Alabama. He literally leaves the school, runs home, and locks himself in, in his bedroom. He won't let his parents in, won't let them talk to him. They're trying to you know, say some things to him through the door, and he's just crying, and he's brokenhearted about being adopted. And so they had called this pastor, who was a friend of my dad's, to come over and to try to talk to this little boy. And so the pastor comes over to the house, and he goes up to the bedroom door, and he knocks, and he kind of talks through the door for a few minutes. And finally, the little boy, because it's his pastor, you know, he kind of opens the door, lets him in, but he shuts the door behind him. And the little boy and the pastor are talking about this idea of this little boy being adopted. And the pastor begins to explain to him, you know, all the other little boys and girls in your school, when, when their mom and dad got pregnant, and they had their little boy or girl, they just got whatever they got. But you need to understand, your mom and dad chose you out of all the boys and girls on planet Earth. And that little boy jumped up off that bed. He ran out that door. They didn't know what was going on. He ran out of the house, and he ran back to the school. And the story goes that he ran back into his classroom, and he stood in the front of the class, and he said, all of y'all's mamas and daddies, when they had you, got stuck with what they got. But my mom and daddy chose me out of every boy and girl on planet Earth. Listen, here's what I want you to understand this morning. You and I, by the grace and sovereignty of Almighty God, have been chosen. We are a chosen people. This term would have brought back uh, and evoked memories to these that were hearing it about God speaking of his people Israel as the chosen people in the Old Testament. And what Peter wanted them to understand was that just as sure as God and his sovereignty had chosen a people in the Old Testament to be the object of his love and his favor, God in his sovereignty has chosen a people in the New Testament called his church to be the objects of his love and his favor. 
favor. Here's what it means. Listen, I am loved by God. I am his and he is mine. And ultimately, that is because God in his sovereign grace has set his heart on me. It's not because of anything that I've done. It's not because that I was lovable. It's not because I've earned that. God in his grace has chosen to love me. Listen, as you sit here today, you need to understand God loves you because he chose you. We're chosen. Listen, it's even more mind-blowing than that. Look at this verse out of Ephesians chapter 1. And I've given it to you in the message paraphrase. It's paraphrased by Eugene Peterson because I love the way he captures what these Greek words say. But look at it, Ephesians 1.4. Long before he laid down earth's foundations. Now, now, now just hang on right there for a second. Understand what he's saying here. Long before Genesis 1.1. What does Genesis 1-1 say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Look what he said. Long before he did that. How long? I don't know. Don't think about it too long. It'll give you a headache. But long before. Long before Genesis 1-1. Before there was ever a star in the sky, before there was ever an ocean to to gaze at, before there was ever a person on planet earth, before there was a universe. Look what it says. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in his mind and had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. What? You say, I, I, I don't understand. Listen, I don't either. All I can say is, wow. Wow. Why is this so important? Let me tell you why it's important. Today, you and I are loved by God Because of what he did, not because of what we did. You hadn't even been made yet when he decided he was going to love you. Now here's what that means. I didn't earn my way into the love of God. So I can't earn my way out of it. You see, if my performance got me in, I better live getting dotting every I and crossing every T to make sure I stay in, right? But my performance didn't enter me into the love of God. The sovereign grace of God made me an object of His love and of His favor. I didn't earn my way in. I can't earn my way out. You say, I don't know if I can wrap my head around that. Listen, Paul couldn't either. Listen to the way Paul wrote it. Romans chapter 8, some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Look what Paul says. Who will separate us? From the love of Christ. The word separate there, I love this. The word separate, the root of that Greek word is a word that means space. 
So the word separate means to, to make or to create space. It means to create distance. Here's what Paul said. Who's going to create some distance between me and the love of God? So he just goes on a little rant here. Will, will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Look what he said. But in all thing, all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am What's the next word? Convinced. The word convinced here is a word that means to be persuaded. Here's what Paul says. Because of my relational experience with God and what I've grown to understand about him, let me tell you something I'm convinced of. I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, what's that? Nothing supernatural, nor things present, that's anything today, or things to come, that's anything tomorrow in the future nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor, what does he say, any other created thing. You know what that includes? You and me too. Every one of us have been created by God. Paul said there's nothing in the heavens, there's nothing supernatural, there's nothing today, there's nothing tomorrow, there's no person, there's no power, there's no demon. Listen, Paul said, I can't even myself, look at it, be able to separate us from the love of God which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. We, as the people of God, are loved by God. We're a chosen race. I want you to say something out loud. I want to put it on the screen. I am loved by God. I want you to say it again. I am loved by God. Listen to me. It doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't. Feelings are not the engine of the train. Feelings are the caboose. Truth is the engine of the train. When you and I believe the truth, guess what happens? Feelings will always follow faith. Sometimes they're a little slow catching up. But as we put our faith in the truth, our feelings will ultimately align with what we know to be true about us. I am loved by God. Listen. And here's the awesome thing. There's not one thing you can do today to change that. You let that sink in. It's going to hit some of you at lunch, and you're going to shout at lunch. And they're going to be like, what in the world? I'm loved by God. I was reading a friend of mine's named Chip Henderson, pastors of the church in Mississippi. He put this out on Twitter this morning. Listen to what he said. I love this. It's not on the screen. I just wrote it down. Here's what he said. You cannot disappoint an all-knowing God. That's good. Listen. He knew before he chose you. You cannot disappoint an all-knowing God. He knows everything about you and loves you anyway. I'm loved by God, and there's not one thing that I can do today to change that. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're getting nervous, and you're thinking, if you tell people that, they're just going to live however they want to live. You're right. But listen to me. If you've experienced that love, let me tell you what it does. It'll change the way you want to live. 
Listen, this is what Paul said. Look what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5. Paul said, for the love of Christ controls us. He didn't say the wrath of God or the punishment. No, the love of Jesus control. The word control is a word that means to hold together, to compel, to constrain. It's the idea of water coming out of a faucet, and you can that water can be flowing freely out of that faucet, but with your hand, you can just direct it however you want to direct that water. Paul says, that's the way the love of Jesus is. As I live my life, the love of Jesus overwhelms me, and it just controls me. It directs the way I want to live. It affects the decisions that I make. It affects the choices that I put in front of me. It affects the way I relate to other people. It affects the attitudes that I have. The love of Christ Christ controls me. Look what he said. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. We are loved by God. Listen, when you and I begin to understand that, And it affects the way we live our lives. A people who are loved by God, a chosen race. Let's move on to the second one. Here's the second one. A people who belong to the kingdom of God. We're not only a people who are loved by God, we're a people who belong to the kingdom of God. Say that out loud with me. A people who belong to the kingdom of God. Do you see it? A chosen race, a royal priesthood. Whoo! Royal priesthood. The word royal is a word that means belonging to or appointed to or suitable for the king. And here's, here's what this phrase really means. You and I are a part of God's forever kingdom. Now there are a couple of applications. There are actually many. I'm just going to give you a couple. Here's one of them. We are part of the king's household. That's a big deal. We're part of the royal priesthood. It means that we're a part of the royal Household. We belong to the royal family. You see, through Jesus, you and I have been adopted into the king's family. And because I am part of the king's family, all that belongs to the king belongs to me. Did you hear what I just said? Peter says, you're chosen. You're a chosen people. You're loved by God. Then he says, you're a royal priest. You're part of the royal household. Means that I'm now a part of the family of the king. And everything that belongs to the king now belongs to me. You say, that sounds too good to be true. That's why they call it grace. You see, grace is getting what you don't deserve. You say, are you stretching this? Let me read it to you somewhere else. Look at it in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. 
Look what Paul says. Same thing Peter says. Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who, read the next three words out loud, has blessed us. Stop right there. Past tense, present tense, future tense. What is it? Come on, English scholars. What is it? Past tense. Who has blessed us, right? He did not say who might bless us. If you perform right, if you obey all the rules, if you do all the right things, you might be, right? No, is that what he said? No. He did not say he will bless us. He didn't even say this is progressive, that somewhere out there in the future you'll get a little bit more and a little bit more. No. He says has blessed us. Let me tell you a word to write out in the margin of your Bible right there. Here's the word. Done. This isn't coming out there in the future somewhere. This isn't based on my performance or my ability to live up to some standard. This is done. Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, done. Now look what he says next. With, what's the next word? Mm. Some? Most? What does it say? You know what that means in the Greek language? Every. But it's encompassing. It means every, the whole, but it also means every single one. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has done already blessed us with every... All, the whole, every single one of them, spiritual blessing, listen to this, in the heavenly places in Christ. I love the way John MacArthur describes it. Look what he says. All that the Lord has, those in Christ have. Christ's riches are our riches. His resources are our resources. His righteousness is our righteousness. And His power is our power. His position is our position. Where He is, we are. His privilege is our privilege. What He is, we are. His possession is our possession. What He has, we have. Glory be to God. We are a part of the royal priesthood. We belong to the king's household. All that belongs to the king now belongs to us. Is that how you see yourself? It's what the book says is true about you and me. We have, we're a part of the king's family. Let me, let me tell you a second implication of this principle. We have access to the presence of the king. Listen, in the Old Testament, God had a chosen people, the nation of Israel. In the Old Testament, God dwelt among his people, his presence. But let me tell you how, how he dwelt among his people. He dwelt among his people in the temple, in a reserved part of that temple called the Holy of Holies. The people of God in the Old Testament did not have daily access into the presence of God. God was separated from them in the Holy of Holies. And what separated them from Him in the Holy of Holies was what was called the veil. It was the veil of the temple. The veil of the temple was 60 feet long. 
top to bottom. It was 30 feet wide and it was four inches thick. It was a symbol that because of our sin, humanity did not have access into the very presence of God. Because of our sin, God had to be separate from us because God would not, could not live in fellowship with sin. So God dwelt among his people, but he did so behind the veil of the temple, the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest And only one day a year could the high priest go into the Holy of Holies to make a sacrifice for the sins of the people. Because of the sin of humanity, we had no access to the very presence of God. But listen, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, something glorious happened. Let me read it for you. Matthew chapter 27. Look what it says. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. That's when Jesus died for our sin. Look what happened next. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. I love that. It could have said bottom to top, but it didn't. Top to bottom, 60 feet tall. How in the world did that happen? Let me tell you how it happened. God himself ripped the veil of the temple in two and tore it apart, declaring because of Jesus, you and I now have access into the very throne room of God. We are a royal priest. We don't need a high priest to go in for us. We have a great high priest in Jesus who has made a provision for us, and now you and I are a part of the king's priesthood. We have access to the very presence of God. Why is this important? Let me tell you why it's so important. You need God today. Maybe you're here this morning and you need God's provision. There's a need that you're carrying and you need God to meet that need. Maybe you're here today and you need God's forgiveness. Maybe you are carrying the weight of some sin, some failure, and you need the forgiveness of God. You've come in here today with a burden in need of experiencing the forgiveness of God. Maybe you're here this morning and what you need is healing. You've got some illness or some physical situation in your life. Or maybe it's something emotional. And you just need a healing touch of the presence of God in your life. Maybe today what you need is God's strength. Maybe you're facing a situation and you need the strength of God. When we're in these situations and we need God's strength or we need God's favor or we need God's forgiveness or we need God's provision or we need God's protection or we need God's healing, all those things that Teddy led us to sing about a moment ago, when we need those things, how do we have access to those things? Let me tell you how you have access. Because of Jesus, you can walk right into the throne room of God yourself you can go right into the let me let me read listen I'm not making it up let me read it look at it Hebrews chapter 4 therefore let us draw near with confidence to the what throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need here's what that means you are a child of the one sitting on the throne that means anytime you need it anytime you you have that need in your life you can walk right into the throne room and say dad 
Here's what I need. We're, we're people who belong to the kingdom of God. If that's good news, say amen. amen. Let, 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 me give you, let me give you a third one. We're not going to spend much time on this one. We're a people who are holy before God. Look at it. Chosen race. Royal priesthood. Holy nation. Holy. Holy. You see yourself as holy? You need to know something. That's how God sees you. Pastor, man, I, I, you, you hadn't been following me around lately. Listen. Holy is who we are in Christ. And holy is what we are becoming through Christ. We're holy people of God. Let me give you a fourth one. We're a people who were purchased by God. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. The word possession means to acquire for a price, to purchase. We've been purchased by God. What does that mean? Here's what it means. You see, all of us, if we're going to be honest, we all broke God's law. Every one of us did. We've all sinned against God. And because of our sin, we owe a debt that we cannot pay. You see, because of our sin, the Bible says we all deserve to spend eternity separated from God for our sin in a place called hell. If we all got what we deserved, this make you feel good, if we all got what we deserved, we would all spend eternity separated from God in hell. You see, I've earned that. That's a debt that I owe before the law of God. I broke His law, and His law says that those who violate His law die physically, spiritually, eternally. But here's the great news of the gospel. God loved us. And because he loved us, he set out to pay for us a debt we could not pay on our own. The eternal plan of redemption is that God sent his son Jesus into the world. Jesus lived a sinless life. That qualified him as our substitute, God in the flesh. On the cross, here's what Jesus did. He took all of your sin and all of my sin on himself. And on the cross, Jesus died. We owed a debt we could not pay. God paid a debt he did not owe. On the cross, Jesus died for our sin. And then he rose again from the dead as a testimony that God accepted his sacrifice for our sin. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we're now born again into relationship with God. And all of this stuff that we're describing about us is true because of what Jesus did through his death, burial, and resurrection. Let me read it to you. Peter said it in chapter 1 of this letter. Chapter 1, verse 18. Look what he said. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from a futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. We've been purchased 
by God because he loves us. By his grace, he redeemed us from our sin. Why is this so important? Because when you understand this, here's what it affects about the way you see yourself. When I understand that I've been bought with a price, here's what that means. I'm not my own. I belong to him. You say, well, that, 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 that doesn't sound really great. I belong to it. Hey, did you hear what I said earlier? He, he brought you in the family. Everything that's his is now yours. I'm glad to belong to him. Here's the last one. We'll finish. We're a people who enjoy the mercy of God. See what he said in verse 10? You have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Millard Erickson, the great theologian, wrote this about God's mercy. Here's what he said. God's mercy is his tender-hearted, loving compassion for his people. It is his tenderness of heart towards the needy. Aren't you thankful that we as his people enjoy the mercy of God? The tender-hearted compassion of God for you and me. We didn't used to live there, but here's what he says. We do now. And I love the way the writer of Lamentation said it. Look at this. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Wow. (laughs) You know what? When you wake up in the morning, it's all new. His mercy, His grace, His loving kindness, it's, it's brand new in the morning. Every day it starts over. New grace, mercy, clean slate, fresh day, new I love that he says his loving kindnesses never cease. His compassions never fail. It means to exhaust or come to an end. Here's what that means. Here's why this is important. He never gets tired. You think sometimes you keep bringing that back to the Lord and you think he's growing weary if you're bringing that back to him. Here's what that says. He don't ever get tired. It never ceases. It never fails. He never gets tired. Remember the big idea? Let me give it to you again. As the people of God... We are who we are because of who Jesus is. Everything that I've said to you this morning about who we are, we are not because of anything that we've done, but everything that Jesus has done. But what I want to do in closing is I want to show you where we're going for the next several weeks. Look at verse 9 again. Chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Then look what he says. So that. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you. The word proclaim is a word that means to make widely known, to publish, or listen to this, to advertise. We are all that we are. And as we live together as individual believers and as a community of believers called his church, here's what happens. You and I become a living advertisement of who he is and all that he has done. So I want to finish this big idea statement. We've really only given you part of it. The next part of it is going to carry us for the next several weeks. Because for the next few chapters of 1 Peter, here's what he does. He begins to describe what it looks like as we live out who we are in him. So here's the big idea completely. As the people of God, we are who we are because of who Jesus is. 
and who we are in Him shapes how we live. Peter says, here's who Jesus is. He's the cornerstone. Here's who you are. Chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people for God's own possession, those who've received mercy. Now here's why. So that we may proclaim as we live out our relationship with Him, as we live out of the overflow of identity in Him, it shapes the way we live and we become a living advertisement to the world of the greatness and the glory and the grace and the favor, the forgiveness of Almighty God. What's going to happen through the rest of 1 Peter is we're going to look at several examples. He's going to talk about how it affects our work relationships, how it affects our home relationships, how it affects our relationships in society and, and, and how we live in relationship to our government and to other people in our, our city. All these examples Peter gives us. But listen, you've got to understand, it's not Peter telling us this is what you're supposed to do. No, it's saying this is who you are. And because this is who you are, it's how you live. Let's read that statement in closing together. Put it back up there, the whole thing, the big idea. Let's read it. As the people of God, we are who we are because of who Jesus is. And who we are in Him shapes how we live people of God. Let's pray together.